When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treating ovens available. Find your next oven at evenheat-kiln.com. To the chopper! Hey, welcome to Knife Talk. I'm Jeff Fader from Fader Knives. Mareko Momasi, Momasi Fire Arts is over here too, as well as Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. We're a podcast of three people, knife makers and stuff, and we make, we make knives. This is for you, enthusiasts, whatever. I'm with you, 100%. Fellas, how was your week? Good week? Good week. Shall I, shall I start things? Go out all the time. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it was a good week. So I've had a lot of time in the studio, which has been nice. Um... I, I put it on my Instagram stories, actually. I've been working with brass liners again this week. I did a few knives. And I swore probably about two months ago that I'm never going to do brass liners again. Um, but, yeah, an order came in. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do them. And then I realized why I didn't want to do brass liners again. It's just a pain in the ass. But they, they come out, they look good in the end, but it's just a lot of work. Um, also, I've been doing a lot of casting on those um, dried flowers that I think I've talked about in the past as well, where I made the mold and we're casting these handles. Um, I they think they so look good. really, really beautiful. So what we did for the customer, we um, took a bunch of pastel uh, backings first because obviously you're going to see the backing and, you know, behind the, the clear resin. Um, so we took a bunch of uh, different colours and we presented them to him. But he wants white. Typically, they want white. Um, so, yeah, so the, I'm going to do 80 of them in white. So Holy we're mackerel. Qu- we're about a quarter of the way through. I only made enough moulds to do um, 16 scales at once, and I need to do 80. Um, we're about a quarter of the way through because each time they take at least 36 hours to cure. So I've had to make, um, I got an old refrigerator and I've put a heater in it to keep it at 25 degrees. So they go straight into that sort of chamber once they're poured. So they'll cure quicker. Um, it's, it's a real production doing these things. It's, it's, it's been quite surprising. Wow. Um, what else? What else? I've done a few. Well, I say a few. I'm just coming to the end of 40 um, walnut um, handled steak knives, walnut and brass on these stainless blades. 
um, for a, a restaurant in the UK called Alcamila. They've just won their first uh, Michelin star just just last week, or the week before rather. Congratulations! Um, and these wow. these handles are looking beautiful. So it's sta- it's walnut that I stabilised, um, but it. You know, until you grind into it, you never know what that finish is really going to be like. But um, there's some lovely sort of figuring within the walnut, and each one is obviously different. And they're, they're just beautiful. You can just get lost looking at them because there's, as I said, there's 40 of them. And, you know, when you're polishing them all up, you just go into a bit of a trance. They're, they're really, really beautiful. So they'll be for delivery early next week. Um, and that's it, really. I've just been just hard at it on the casting, the walnut, and the brass liners. And there was so the matter how is of- your... Sorry, I apologize. No, sorry. It's, it's, you don't need to apologize. It was, I was going to say it's the matter of the rugby that's been on this week. So it's the, it's the Rugby World Cup um, in Japan. And Wales, um, we played this morning in the semifinals and we lost. Just about two hours ago, we All lost. Right. So I'm feeling a little bit sore today. Um, but it, it's been an amazing competition and we'll be playing for third and fourth place next week, which is something at least. And how's, uh, how's our, our boy uh, Proper Church doing um they went out in the i think it was the quarters yeah i think they got to the quarterfinals and went out um but they played some amazing mm. games they played they, they played an epic game against japan and japan has just surprised everybody because you know rugby is a pretty physical sport and they're not the most uh physical players because they're, they're just smaller they're just built smaller so they play a completely different game where it's just fast and their passing is so accurate and quick so that they've been amazing to watch um, so yeah, unfortunately they went out in, in an earlier round, but, um, England are in the final and it's going to be an England, South Africa final next Saturday, which I'm gutted about because a Wales, England final is, it's pretty epic, but, um, unfortunately it wasn't to be, wasn't to be. Can I ask you a question? I was going to say, now that you're doing, I mean, back to talking about knives, but you know, now that you're doing all these steak knives, are you noticing a difference in your approach now that you're not really doing custom chef knives and you're kind of focusing more, I mean, like single buyer knives. Now you're kind of focusing on like big batches for restaurants. Have you noticed Massively. a difference in your. Yeah, just the way I work. So, um, you know, working in batches, I'm just finding a lot easier because I'm still, you know, only just managing to steal time to get into the studio to work on them between, you know, the babies and the house and all the rest of it. So, um, it's just nice to be able to go and know where you are. And you say, right, I'm drilling the uh, the, the bolt holes for 40 knives now. And you know, once you're set up, it's just, you're just a machine. You just bang, 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 bang. And if I was doing that, you know, each stage on a single knife, it's the setup each time, you know. and Because, right. uh, you know, because each, each batch is, is different. Each customer has something slightly different anyway. So it's just nice to be able to set up and just work on that. So... Th- at the moment, I'm working on three different customer orders, and you know, one's for eighty knives, and two are for forty knives. Whereas normally, I only work on one customer, but because the way things are working out, I'm working on the three. So what I'd normally do is is, is complete the the full order. By that point, the studio's a complete and utter mess. So I'll take two days just to clean everything completely down, and and restart again fresh, ready for this new order. But this one, there's been a lot of crossover. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying the fact that. Everything is quite repetitive. Um, and again, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, every knife you do is better than your last knife. I'm finding that every order is a massive improvement on the last order. Not regards to the output, because they're, they're pretty similar, but regards to the way I'm doing it. Just these little tips and tricks that just, you know, speed things up and just make, make life a lot easier. That's mm. good. It's, it's, it certainly suits my 
my lifestyle at the moment. Well, it's it's perfect. It's perfect. Mareko, how are you? I'm doing all right. Um, yeah, this last week I've been working on that Tonto, so I'm building a Tonto right now, which is definitely not a chef's knife. Um, the way it forges out and everything is very different, and uh, it's a, but it's all you know, it's still the same idea regarding forging. It's just kind of managing the material. Tontos are very uh, they're very thick at the spine and very uh, they have a fine edge and if you're going to forge to any kind of dimension, that means you're basically doing all your forging along the edge side and which could turn it into a banana pretty damn quick. Um, but, but if you just manage the material, it, it uh, you can keep things pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty well straightened out and not, or I guess under control without it getting too crazy. Uh, but that's gone well. Got it through heat treat and finish grinding. Uh, so I'm doing something. So they tonsils have this thing called a habaki, which is a kind of a collar that goes around the tang and fits right underneath what would be like kind of the normal shoulders on a Western style knife that would butt up against the guard. But instead, in um, Japanese tradition, they have a habaki um, before the guard which is a kind of collar, like I said. But what I'm doing is an integral habaki. So um, I've never built one of these before, and I know it's very non-traditional to do it this way, but this is how I build things. And so um, so that's it was kind of tricky cleaning that up um, just because uh, it's it's got a, instead of being a, a curve, or sorry, a, a flat transition from the blade up into uh, basically wood, wood I'll call it an integral bolster um, <laughs> for ease of kind of visualizing is, is what this habaki basically is. Um, but instead of it being flat, it's it's kind of an arc from belly side to spine side. And so getting that matched up from side to side was kind of tricky. Um, but I, I got it worked out. And, and oh, and so one of the other major elements of this build is in Tonto's come in, in learning about Tonto knives and kind of what, what is traditional. There's no hard, fast form for, uh, Tonto's Tonto's are kind of like a, they were kind of a, a side hip weapon. Uh, so when samurai would carry like a, you know, a katana, a larger sword, they would have a secondary sword that essentially would be the equivalent of like a, a like a Scottish uh, like dagger or something like that. So the tanto is basically their side weapon, their second smaller knife or dagger sized knife that they would keep on them um, when they would be fight and like when they would fight and. Um, and they, yeah, they come in all different kinds of styles and designs. So I opted for a what is called a suba, which is a guard. Uh, and again, usually it's uh, kind of that area of the knife on top of the guard would have like a, a another spacer called a, a sepoa. And I I'm doing it all integral. And so those are those are both uh, both the suba and the sepoa are actually one piece. And I'm gonna kind of treat them and, and I forged them in a way so that it it steps down from what would look like a separate piece down to the suba and then uh forged around the edge to kind of upset and flare it back out. So there's this kind of valley between the high center and the outer edge and then it and then it dips down in between. It's kind of neat. And um I don't, it's just been a fun exploration and forging and forms and trying to figure out and problem solve. Um 
And uh, but yeah, it's been going good. Is this a Damascus blade as well, Maraca? Yeah, it is Damascus. So it's a Sanmai Damascus, and it's um, yeah, just kind of what would I guess typically be called a random Damascus cladded uh, uh, material. Uh, And I'm just looking at my notes real quick. I think that's basically it. I mean, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's a a big learning curve kind of going through and playing with different kind of styles, which is really cool. Um, I think before I said I was not very excited about this, but now I'm more excited about it because I'm doing all this kind of exploration in a way. And, and it, it gives me an opportunity to learn. I, I would love to learn all different kind of styles of knives, but chef's knives are always going to be the ones I make. It's just what's interesting about learning different styles is that it, it informs you on Either ways that <laughs> and techniques that you can adapt to your chef's knife making, or ways you definitely do not want to do things. Um, How are so, you planning yeah. on doing the handle? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, the handles are pretty simple. So there's another spacer. It's another. It's so underneath the guard will be another Damascus spacer, and then the handle is going to be pretty simple. It's going to be kind of an octagonal shape, um, almost kind of like a coffee or coffee coffin, or yeah, coffin shaped handle that you see like on buoys in a way, um, where it's like faceted in octet, like an elongated octagonal cross section. But the handles are usually pretty simple, and so it's it's going to be from um, a very nice piece of uh, what is it? It's buckeye burl, so it's got this. Uh, a lot of gray activity and, and the burly activity with a little bit of blonde speckled in. Nice. I think it's going to complement it nicely. Yeah, that nice. sounds sweet. Yeah. Hmm. What about you, Jeff? What Is it you, Jeff? all hand sanding this week? Well, you know, we—it's been such a crazy week that if I went to tell you everything, it would be a little bit too much. So I'm going to give you a choice so we could talk about. Number one, I got a visit from Alex Pohl and his crew. Um, that was incredible. Um, and then the other thing is, is I was hand, I hand sanded 50 knives that I finished yesterday and my thumbs are hurt. And then, um, my, uh, I've decided that I'm going to have, uh, I, I don't know, this isn't my fault, but kind of my fault is, is, uh, I'm going to be hosting some classes here in the shop. Uh-huh. Um, that's big news. And then, uh, my college roommate came and we got uh, really, really drunk. And that wasn't my fault at all. So <laughs> really pick and choose in regards to what you want to ask me about. But it was, Let, Let's go with your classes and your drunk college roommate. Cause I, know right, well, can, I know you're going to talk about Alex a bit later, aren't you? Yeah, well, yeah. The, the, so my roommate Jamie, who listens to the podcast, is, uh, was my college roommate. He was my studio mate in Greenpoint when I had my first shop. We had a shop. We shared a shop together in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. He was the best man at my wedding, and uh, so he's called me up. He said, "I'm gonna. I'm. A, he lives in Philly. He says I'm gonna drive. I'm gonna drive my motorcycle up and I see you." I said, "Great, come on by." So he came up, and then we forged um, some. I bought. I had him forge a bottle opener. He's a metal worker. He's an architect. He works for the Museum of Philadelphia. He's just a great guy. And then I said, "Listen, let's. My wife is gone. My daughter is at a friend's house. Why don't we go out and uh. have a drink?" dangerous so, so and 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 at first i thought let's just have something to eat and have a drink and then i said you know what we can walk to town we don't have to drive so i should have tipped me off that shit was going to go south and i was planning on not cursing today but i guess i just screwed it all up so um 
We went into town. We went to my buddy John's restaurant, uh, Bird's All House, and he sat down with us. Next thing you know, he's sending us drinks and then more drinks and all. Ah, we have something else to drink. And we, you know, real nice beer. And then I said, all right, let's get out of here and go somewhere else. We didn't get a bill. So we went to the next place where I had a, I wanted to show him this uh, beer tap that I built for this restaurant, Eagle Saloon. And we had a few drinks there. And then a friend of mine was there and he says, hey, Jeff, let's go upstairs. Let's go upstairs. Upstairs is a cigar club that I'm not a member of because (laughs) I don't join any members. I don't join any clubs, but they invite me all these things. And he said, come on upstairs, go to the cigar clubs. We went to the cigar club to watch the end of the Yankee game, the last inning of the Yankees losing, which was an awesome inning because they caught up and then they lost. It was just, it was very exciting. And we had a few drinks there. And then we went back down to another restaurant, had a few drinks there. And then had a went to the last restaurant and had a few drinks there. It was, we were tore up from the floor up. I mean, it was bad. <laughs> we were slam boned, totally drunk. As if he was still college kids, eh? Oh, I mean, clearly, I mean, you know, he was he was falling into the bushes. I was falling into the bushes. We were stumbling home. And then, uh, of course, you know, life, you know, it's not college anymore. We can't just sleep in. All of a sudden, the dogs need to take a leak at five in the morning. Uh, then my daughter sends me. We got in at like almost three. And then I get a message from my daughter. Hey, can you pick me up at 8.15? And I'm getting in the car thinking, am I still drunk? Am I going to pick up my daughter? Am I still drunk in this car? And I'm like, no, no, no. So I went on to my day, and then um, I had posted pictures of Jamie and I uh, um, forging, and then I got a message from an f- old friend of mine, Zivik Gottlieb. He's a Israeli blacksmith. He's a, a, a student of uh, Uri Hoffi. Great guy, super good guy. And he, had sent, he saw, he'd been watching what I've been doing, and he says, hey, listen, I'm going to be in town. I'm going to be in New York for the 2020 Abana Conference. Do you want to try to line up a class at your shop? And I, he's like, I, you know, I'm already here. Why don't we figure something out? So we thought about it. And I had built this shop to kind of have classes at some point. I moved. I When I installed this giant hood, I tried to center, I centered it so we'd be able to kind of like uh, have a little bit more than four anvils in the shop and and we we talked about it, and and Tony and I agreed that it's a great idea. So we're going to work out the dates for. He's going to do like a couple days sculpture class, uh, forge sculpture class, which is going to be really cool. He does a lot of sculptural uh, stuff. And then I reach out to all the modern forge guys. Uh, Cliff and John are going to teach a class. They want to nice. teach a class. Jesse and his and his wife Carrie, they're going to teach a class. Damascus Dave is going to teach a class, and then one of the great blacksmiths, underrated, doesn't t- not people people don't talk about him too much is Darren Fisher, is a good buddy of mine. He's an incredible jeweler and blacksmith. He's going to teach a class. So uh, the next year, and it's all going to be blacksmithing. We have not. I'm not scheduling any knife making classes um, because I just it's just too much. It's it's just not for. It's, I want to do some blacksmithing classes. These blacksmiths want to do some blacksmithing classes. So. That's going to be for next year. It's going to be, we're going to have at least five. I don't know. I'm trying, I'm not calling them. I don't know what the fuck. I mean, I don't know what the heck I'm calling them. I'm, I'm trying to figure something out. But yeah, we're going to have the, the boys are going to come in and we're going to have some one day classes, some two day classes in the New York City, New York vicinity. So there we are. Nice. A lot of fun. That'll be, I bet. It'll yeah. be good. You know, I've, in, 
doing the demoing and being at uh, Doghouse Forge and being at Florentine Knives, it has been, it kind of reinvigorated me in terms of the fun I was having with the students. And it was a lot of fun, but I really want to focus on, you know, blacksmithing. You know, I just think Mm -hmm. that that's one of the things that's kind of missing in regards to what a lot of people are learning and not learning. And it's fun, and, you know, you're not worrying about heat treating and tempering. You're not worried about the, you know, what's inside. You're worried about your, you know, your, your what's on the outside. So, we'll see. We'll see. Sweet. And then my thumbs want to fall off because I've been hand hand sanded for 50 hours. 50 hours. Those 50, um, what are they called? The The El Bandito knives. El Banditos, that's it. I spent 50 hours hand sanding and 50 knives. And my hey, thumbs, hey, like hey. right now, look like I've been bass fishing for about a month. They are they are screwed up. Carpal tunnel syndrome. Up. It's bad. Yeah. It's you know. Look, you got to do it. You got to do it. It was uh, it was a marathon, and I seem to be a uh, glutton for punishment. So hmm. there we are. Are you straight on to fit ups with those now? Now uh, it's Sunday. Now Monday, I'm going to start doing some of the stencils. I'm waiting for. Um, I we got the stencil of Carl Ruiz, the guy who I'm making the knives with. We got his signature, so okay. we're waiting on the stencil for his name is on the way. In the meantime, I'll stencil one side, and then I'm. Um, we're getting ready to my all the handles are are laminated the holes are drilled the bol- bolsters are all cleaned up we're ready to assemble those but i want to i don't want to i don't want to tape 50 up and then take the tape off and put the tape back on so i'm going to try to get all the stenciling done wrap them up one time throw on the handles and then see if we can get i want to get these done in the next three weeks i want them out the door in the next three weeks and that's going to be you know a tall order but you know look we got to get this got to get light got to get on to life right get on with it yeah yeah Okay, cool. So let's find out what's been happening in the news. Craig Lockwood reporting for KTP News. Today is a a very slow news week because I've got nothing to say. Mareko, over to you, (laughs) our roving reporter, Mareko Malmati. (laughs) Yeah, all right. So I want to kick it off with Blade Show. I know we've been talking about it for the last uh, last couple of weeks, last few weeks, uh, but it is coming up this weekend, starting on the first to the third down in Portland, Oregon. Uh, if you don't have tickets yet and you want to go, um, make sure you go online to bladeshow.com uh, and at checkout, if you type in all caps Neil twenty, you'll save twenty percent off uh, your pass, whether it's a daily pass or a three day pass. Um, but Kind of like the highlights of this show. Not only are they going to have all the different exhibitors. I was looking at the uh, exhibitor list last night. I think they have. I think I saw something like 228 exhibitors. But there are going to be tons of makers there. uh, Outside of that, who won't like myself, who don't necessarily have a table, but are going to be attending the show. Um, But uh, so other highlights are there are. They got the the free seminars as I've spoken about. Uh, our our buddy Jeremy Spake, Road of Victory, is doing a Scandinavian knife seminar. Um, but they they got a bunch of them going on. And down in Atlanta, these these they call it Blade University, and they usually cost money. Um, so this is a chance to jump in into basically these kind of 
blade knife making classes, especially if you're a newbie, uh, and get some inf- really good info from super uh, super talented, very experienced makers uh, who have been in this and digging around and learning all this information and kind of distilling it down uh, for you in a meaningful way um, for free basically, or I guess the cost of admission for the show. So this is, this is free with admission at the show. Uh, so the big thing that they're trying to push, they want to, they want everybody to go to the, uh, the, what is it? The Saturday night pit party. So this is, so in Atlanta, they have the pit where, uh, it's like basically a bar at bar area, lobby area at the bottom of the hotel where the show in Atlanta is held. Uh, they don't have that in Portland. So what they've done is they've kind of, they got a hold of a space that isn't far from the hotel or from the convention center, the Oregon convention center, where the, uh, the show is going to be happening. It's actually less than a mile. You could basically, you could, you could walk there after the show or stumble um, or stumble over there or stumble there. Yeah. Depending if you've already started drinking before the show is even over. Um, but, uh, the, they got some special things going on. Uh, they have the, the first ever, uh, chef's knife cutting competition, which, um, they've filled the ranks. I don't know if you guys saw the blade show, uh, Instagram, but they posted my headshot, and I thought it was just going to be my stupid face, but they posted the whole picture, and it was this silly-ass, like, sexy pose picture that <laughs> my wife had taken of me in all of my work wear in the shop, so I'm like, actually, it's not really that sexy. I'm dirty, and I'm making this stupid whatever like, float smile. Your boat. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, they got everybody. They got all the competitors for the chef side and the and the uh, and the maker side of the the brackets um, up there. If you want to check those out, any also names, part of the any admission. names that you know, that you can tell us who 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 are the who are the hot, the number one seeds here. Yeah, I don't I don't know who the number ones are, but I, some of the people I recall, um, the, Murray Carter is going to be there competing. And he actually has a couple of his guys, the Muteki crew. So Muteki is his uh, kind of apprentice line underneath the, the kind of the Murray Carter umbrella. And so he's got a couple of his guys competing in there in that chef's knife skills competition <coughs> as well. Um, but there, I think in total, there's something like a dozen or so makers. Uh, I think, and I think it's about the same for the chef side. Um, I'm sorry, I don't remember everybody's <laughs> name, but maybe I'll try to do a better job about that. Or, well, yeah, it's, it'll be later. next week. So, yeah, I guess it'll be next. You'll it'll give be us too, a wrap little up. too late. We'll give us a wrap. Yeah, up. I'll get. I'll, I'll do a wrap up. So, um, let's see. Oh, and so to go to that pit party though, you have to, they have a uh, an RSVP page. So, you, um, because there are you know there's only a certain capacity and. Um, and so they just want to make sure that they're trying to keep everything safe and within fire code. So you want to definitely go RSVP um, at the Blade Show website. Uh, make sure you can get into that. And uh, with that entry, you get a ticket. So I think when, you, uh, as I understand it, when you walk in, they're going to hand you a raffle ticket. Uh-huh. And basically every hour, hour it, no, no cost. <laughs> See, free entry. Hey, you don't have to buy anything. <laughs> And uh, they're going to be giving stuff away. They got a bunch of stuff. Uh, I kind of went over them last week. I'm not going to go through everything away again. But, you know, Jason Knights donated a couple things to be given away. Uh, there's a bunch of knives that are going to be given away uh, and some and some backpacking gear, I guess, as well. Um, 
but they're also going to have a few, a couple food trucks there. As far as I know, they got a pizza truck, a, a fish and chips truck, and um, and then they're also going to have a bar. And I think it's just going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a great opportunity for people to hang out, and mingle. Um, you know, it's a great opportunity for uh, collectors to meet makers, for makers to meet other makers, P- maybe people you've been following for a while on Instagram, but you just never have actually met in person. Um, there are going to be a lot of really great people there, and uh, I really look forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Cool. And you're there the whole weekend? I will be there. I'm looking at showing up Thursday evening at the uh, at the latest, I think, because um, we're going to be doing, like, family Halloween stuff with the kiddo. Hmm. Um, and then, and then, yeah, be there early Friday, Saturday, and probably leave sometime in the afternoon on Sunday. Cool, cool. Now we've yeah. got, we've got some light news from Jeff, which we're, which is becoming my favorite part of the show. But actually, I do have some. <laughs> it's not news as such, but just more of an announcement. So I'm going to be in the UK from the fifth of November for a whole week, and I've been given the uh, the day off by the wife to go and do what I like while oh. I'm back in the UK. So if there's any um, knife makers, I've, I've realized basically that I have never really spent time with other knife makers. I, you know, I'm self-taught and what I do is, you know, is my own thing. Never really spent time with any others. So if there's any other knife makers in the UK, whether you're in London based or whatever, and you fancy some of the shop for the day, me just watching over your shoulder, seeing how you do things, having a bit of a chat, I'll take you for lunch. Let me know and we can arrange something for um, the week of the 5th. So I say I've got time. Yeah. I'm in the UK and I've got time, and I'd love to meet up with other knife makers and see what's going on. Wow, that sounds cool. Yeah. Cool. Who we got? Sounds like who, a great got o- who we got over there? Who we got over there? I wonder. There's plenty in the UK. Plenty. Well, just before I go into the dumb news, I have a little bit of dumb news. Uh, the New England School of Metalwork just released their 2020 schedule. It's up at New England School of Metalwork. It's definitely worth a checkout. Go, and that's all I'm going to say. New England School of Metalwork.com. Go check out their new schedule. They get a lot of great teachers, a lot of great classes. Okay. So, I, I, I don't know what to say sometimes about this news. This is news segment, and I try to find something that's kind of, you know, light. I mean, what are we going to do? Just, you know, whatever. So I found this. I'm calling it in dumb news, and it's, and it's this idea. <laughs> it's called anvil shooting. Have you, do you guys ever hear anvil shooting? No. All Possibly. Right. Possibly. Yes, you have. Because well, I have too. So this comes from the Telegraph UK. And I, this article is an older article, but I'm actually going to, I might blast the newspaper over everything else. So it's called Anvil Shooting World's Strangest Sport. Uh, the pastime, which has a small, passionate following in Southern and Western United States, is largely self explanatory using gunpowder to fire an anvil up 200 feet in the air. It also has an anvil launching and anvil firing. There's even a world champion anvil shooter, a burly Missourian with the unlikely name of Gay Wilkinson. (laughs) P.S. Weak as a weak, low-hanging fruit joke, by the way. Dave Bellamy, uh, the Dave Bellamy lookalike, I don't know who the hell that is. Dave Bellamy was like a... um a natural history guy, and he had this big, big beard, and he'd always be walking through the weeds looking for animals, that kind of thing. Well, do, does he wear khaki shorts and have a big, fat gut? Yep, that's the one. All right, there <laughs> he is. That's You got it, then. <laughs> David Bellamy look like Mr. Wilkinson has demonstrated the noble art in an online video. Uh, it involves placing one anvil upside down on the ground, filling a brick-shaved 
cavity and its underside with black powder and then carefully with a thick paper match to prevent sparks, placing another on top of it. Then the anvil shooter lights the fuse and runs away as fast as he can. Um, although the hefty 100-pound anvil reaches an impressive height, Mr. Mr. Wilkinson claims 200 feet is about the record. It, it tends to return to the earth fairly close to where it started. Presumably the wind drift is not a significant problem. Thanks, Telegraph UK. What an uh, idiot. Mis- <laughs> what Mr. Wilkinson, here's where it gets so stupid. Mr. Wilkinson, oh, the whole thing's stupid, to be, be honest with you. Mr. Wilkinson admits that some people will ask, what's the appeal? And he goes, now, why would you do that? I get that from a lot of women, he says. I don't know, other than it's neat launching something that really wasn't meant to be intended to be launched. Men's team, men's tend to think, wow, that's pretty cool. He adds, people like, people talk about the joy of sex, but it don't last like the joy of shooting anvils. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. This dummy. Jesus. This this whole article is idiotic. And I, and and, and I, I don't even know where to begin. Number 1, it's it, it's I just I'm like besides myself with this whole thing. I've seen people shooting anvils in the air. It's just, you know, it just seems like it's just such a wasteful thing of your time and your energy. But this <clears throat> idiot is taking a perfectly good 100-pound anvil, shoving it full of uh, black powder and, and firing in the air, and the uh, the articles they're they're trying to figure out why this story is so interesting. The only thing they come up with is his first name is Gay. Guys, guys, is this in the get UK? Out of here. So it's a UK yeah, paper. No, is, is this well, it's a UK, in UK paper, but it's in Missouri. Ah, explain. It's a, a lot I mean, the, the video. He is so happy with himself. This fat idiot is so happy he's shooting he's shooting a, i don't even know where to begin i i'm actually a i apologize for bringing this idiotic it's not easy finding knife news that's fun so where do you guys want to go i mean what's to say other than this idiot is should you know he's obviously lacking something but sexual well, prowess just, to begin with well clearly. yeah that's the other thing it's like he's worried about what women think i i, I think you should worry about what everybody thinks exactly. what everybody thinks is you're a fat idiot and this is stupid <laughs> have we got any anything coming up on the calendar at all morocco this week yeah yeah so other than blade show coming up this weekend we do have a couple more knife shows um in san diego the art knife invitational so i said last week um the california custom show i i mentioned a couple makers and uh i was thinking about this show the art knife invitational featuring van barnett and some of the other uh you know top makers in the in the country if not around the world uh, coming to the show. This is a, a juried show, so this is a very, very small group of collectors or of makers. Uh, I think it's, I think it's something like twenty of them or something like that. But these guys or these people, they make the craziest stuff. Uh, they do all kinds of inlay and engraving, um, very complicated and elaborate um, kind of display boxes that go along with. Uh, the knives and everything. Actually, our guy Mike Quisenberry is going to be part of the show. Um, so, if Mike, if you hear this, congratulations. I hope you have a good show. Um, and you have to be like voted in to be part of this yeah. show. It's pretty exclusive stuff. Um, I think last year, one of the most expensive knives that sold was something around uh, $90,000 or something like that. Crazy. Yeah, pretty incredible. Um, 
Really fine stuff. And then, so that's on the second. And then on the third in Marlboro, Massachusetts, uh, the Marlboro show is going on. And um, so if you're going to be in the area, go check that out. Or if you're up there in that area, go check it out. Um, go to, you know, look it up online. Get the info and uh, go check it out. There's gonna, I'm sure. I'm. I bet our guy, uh, actually, our my my former shopmate Matt uh, Parkinson's gonna probably be at that show. You, you, it's not far from you. You gonna go check that out, Jeff? Uh, sure. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> it's okay. If it's I, I'm, a no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm locked in. I can't go anywhere. <clears throat> yeah. And there's obviously Blade, which is next week. And do you know who else will be at yes. Blade? Combat abrasives make the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers available in any size and at unbelievable prices. Go take a look at combatabrasives.com and get 15% off with the promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now! KNIFETALK15! 15. 15% off anything that they sell. Incredible deal. I, let no. me just go back real quick to the dumb anvil news. I, I'm starting to realize that I, I, in my mind, I'm in a in a car talking to no one, and I don't realize that some of the people I insult actually listen. So with that said, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> with, with that said, Gay Wilkinson, I apologize in advance for calling you a fat idiot. I'm I. I don't know what to say other than I get a little bit. I honestly think that no one's listening to this thing and I get a little ahead of myself. So if you're listening, God bless you. Good luck for good luck with the animal firing. I, I think it's a noble sport and I think you should keep it up and just just don't do it around here. But in regards to your weight, fine. You enjoy your life. I'm not. I apologize. I don't think Gay Wilkinson is listening, but um yeah, well, anything yeah, that we talk about here, about who cares? Who cares? Yeah, okay, okay, Come on, man. Turn Let's beer. take a deep right. dive. A yeah, deep dive. So, I've got a question for you two guys this week. So, something I've been thinking about a lot of the last few weeks is the the tools that you own. Um, do they inform the design of the knives that you make when you're when you're coming up with a design do you think well i've got that tool could do you know xyz that tool could do that or do you come up with a design then just try and make it happen whatever way let's start with Morocco. what do you um, think yeah i think for me uh it really is, the design drives everything so um you know if i'm doing something that requires a tool that I don't have or kind of like maybe a, a, a fixture or a jig that I don't own. Um, I don't, I try not to let the tooling inhibit me. And uh, if I need to make something or, uh, you know, throw something together, fabricate something to make this happen, then uh, I do. Uh, I, I would say a perfect example is, you know, it, grinding clips, uh, you can do them vertically. Uh, on the flat platen of your grinder, um, just kind of by eye. But at a certain point, you don't want to necessarily just eyeball those. So I came up with a uh, a little attachment that uh, bolts onto my my grind. Uh, what is it? my my flat platen tooling arm, and uh, and that allows me. And it's just a, like a little table that can change angle and everything like that. Um, so I can adjust the angle depending on the project, but it allows me to um, kind of grind 
clips uh, at the exact same angle from both sides and make everything look really nice and clean and symmetrical. And that's just as a small example, that was something I did not have in my uh, kind of in my arsenal of tools. Mm. And, um, and I just threw it together to make it happen. And uh, it worked out beautifully for the project I was working on, um, which was kind of like this clip point uh, buoy uh, a few years back. Um, but yeah, I, I, I try everything for me is very design driven. I come up with an idea and a concept and then I try to figure out how to make the tools that I own work for that. And yeah, um, fortunately I'm, I'm pretty well tooled up, so I don't need a whole lot, but there are definitely projects that I just cannot do because I do not have kind of like the special equipment that does it. Yeah. Uh, and one would be like a, a mill, a milling machine, uh, would really open up a lot of possibilities and flexibility for me to do more creative or challenging projects or even like making a folder like a mill would it, you don't need a mill to make a folder but man it, it, <laughs> it, it is a game changer yeah, yeah, yeah. in accuracy for sure yeah so i suppose you've got to that point where the tools that you have if you have something in mind you have the tools to make another tool anyway i suppose yeah, yeah, yeah. Some sort of jig or whatever. Maybe. I do. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? For sure. I, I'm bound by my own ignorance. It's not the tools. It's just how stupid I am. So I, 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 I can only, <laughs> I can only do. I mean, the, 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 the cool thing about when I was learning it, and before I was even a blacksmith, when I was a metal worker, we could make, you can make the tools that you would need. Like we needed. Uh, I remember back in the day, in the early '90s, we needed these bending bars. So we were making all these tweaking bars, and the different tweaking bars would allow us to kind of bend stuff the way we needed to. So it was always fun for me to build uh, tools to suit. And what happened was. Um, my senior project, my art teacher, my art professor suggested for my senior project that I, I do a, a show just on the tools that I make to make sculpture. And it was a total disaster, and I wish I didn't listen to him. But at the same time, it was really neat to build, you know, making the tools become kind of almost more was more interesting because you, you know, you're able to kind of figure out, all right, well, I can't go buy that at the store and I can make it. Mm. Um, I'm at the point now where it's just like, I, my knife designs are based on what I can physically do. And I, and I, and in regards to the tools, I feel like I'm perfectly set up for what I'm doing now, but it's just my own ignorance in regards to how to do things in order to get to the next level of doing something more complicated. Mm, that makes sense. There you go. Yeah, yeah makes sense. Stupid. Yeah, yeah I'm dumb. <laughs> Not at all. Don't put yourself down. Jesus. It's fine. No, it's fine. I, I, I'm happy to be dumb. I, you know, someday, you know, you're dumb now, but maybe you're smart later. Who knows? Hmm. It's fine. You know, this is a, you know, you're in it for the long run. I'm in it for the long. I'm in it for a long time, not a good time. You know there what I'm saying? Go. There you go. It, it just got me thinking because I was looking at some of my old. I've got a you know a whole drawer here of, of scrap knives. You know, from my first knives onwards, that kind of thing. And I was looking. I was looking at the design. And I was thinking how much the design has changed. And I, it mainly is due to the uh, machines that I've got. But obviously, you know, your your experience helps and, and all that kind of thing. But, you know, those first knives, they had that classic sort of, two, you know, using that two-inch contact wheel at the top. They had that classic sort of choil area, which is based around the two-inch contact wheel and all that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, it just got me thinking about you guys as well, to, you know, whether those tools are sh- 
they are obviously literally shaping your knives, but I mean, shaping the design. Um, and just little things, like Morocco has just said about, you know, making jigs for certain things. As you get more experienced, you realise, well, if I could make something that would just make that process either quicker or easier. So for me, I think it's, it is a case of, I mean, first and foremost, I want to make the best knife that I can. But then secondly, if I can speed up that process by having a specific tool, um, or if that tool, you know, works out financially beneficial as in you know if it takes me three hours to do a certain task and it'll take me 20 minutes with this tool but this tool costs x you can work out whether it's worth doing that kind of thing um yeah that certainly does shape you know the knives that i make but yeah first and foremost obviously we're all trying to make the best knives that we can but sometimes those little little tweaks that we've got that will suit the machines we have will speed up that process you know that was my sort of thought process behind that well, I'll tell you one piece of equipment that I picked up that really did change a lot of what I do. And one, you're talking about if now I figure out one piece of tooling that really changed the way you do things. Hmm. I, we're talking about contact wheels. A half inch contact wheel hmm. changed a lot of what I do because now, you know, Mareko showed me how to make uh, serrations with the, the two inch wheel that I have. And then I got a half inch wheel and I'm using the half inch wheel to do serrations, but also a half inch wheel to kind of get into that choil area, you know? Yeah. So that's one piece of equipment that I came a small, it was just a small attachment with a pile of different sized uh, contact wheels, but that half inch contact wheel was something that really, really helped. And I use the half inch contact wheel when I'm grinding in the, um, the bolster area of an integral bolster, you know, mm. the half inch contact wheel, that one thing was so versatile. I can't even stand it. Yeah. One thing I have found with, I've, I've got a, it's a, it's a bit smaller than half inches. It's a 10 mil um, contact wheel. One thing I found with that, when I was sort of cleaning up the choil areas with that, and I, what I do, I put my grinder, it sort of flips um, horizontally so I can use it that way. And, you know, with the, with the, the knife resting flat on the uh, on the uh, tool arm. Right. Um, one thing that I found that when I'm trying to do things quickly, which I know I should just slow down, is that when I'm just tidying up, I can sometimes leave a bit of an indent, just very, very slightly. And then you're trying to grind the flat of the, you know, the underside of the opposite the spine, again, to match that all up. It can be a bit of a pain. So what I did, I just got a bit of steel on another tool arm, because thankfully the grinder I've got, you can put a bunch of tool arms on at once. And I ground into the contact wheel. So basically, the contact wheel now will give me a radius, but then it goes straight into a flat. So I can't, ah. so I can't over, over grind, you know, that, that, that little I know circle. What you mean. And that works really well because you can be, just be really fast. You can just, you just slide, slide your, your blade down and it'll just touch that contact, clean it up. And it's done in like half a second, you know? Um, That's cool. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about because I got to get two grinders because I got mm. that, I got the contact wheel and I bump it over to the, and I jump over to the flat platen to mm. kind of clean up that little uh, gouge so for lack of a better term i yeah, know exactly yeah. what you're talking about yes yeah yeah to but that little tool that help, helps uh, helps a lot hell of a lot yeah i'd like to see a picture of that little tool i shall show you a picture of my tool right. oh geez well, easy easy junior uh, easy. easy junior i'm trying to behave myself <laughs> have you noticed i'm trying to behave myself i mean in the last episode you named a foul language and i know that was directed to me so i'm trying to behave myself <laughs> it's a slap on the wrist damn <laughs> Let- I, I gotta say, for myself personally, <clears throat> more and more, it, I've actually tried to do more with fewer tools, um, just to help kind of expedite my process and and kind of alleviate some of the arm, like changing out tool arms and stuff. Mm. And one of the things I've completely stopped using is my small contact wheel. I don't use one at all uh-huh. anymore. 
I, I, I do a lot of stuff just with my, my flat plaid and my slack slack belt uh, to kind of get into those tight areas and grinding them, grind them and clean them out and stuff. And um, for me, I found it was just, I was constantly changing between the, I have uh, now I have three tool arms, but I had the, you know, the small contact wheel was a fourth one. And just that extra step of, unlocking things putting everything together getting everything like readjusted and everything just it was driving me nuts and i knew i had the ability to, to just do it on the flat plat and, and so i just took spent a little time dialing it in and um yeah mm. i i think as much as you can do with fewer tools actually is kind of the better to keep things simple obviously you want the right tool for the job and don't try to shortcut it if you really need a specific tool like a carbide file guide like there's basically no way to replace that um that's one tool i really need for my for my knife making but mm. outside of that if you can try to figure out how to simplify um not necessarily your design, but just, I guess, yeah, I don't know how, how else to say other than just do more with the tools with a few, with as few tools as you possibly yeah. can. Well, here's what's um, interesting really about what you said. I'm glad you brought that up because when I was yeah. a fabricator and I was in a metal shop changing, if, if you're using right angle grinder community, if you're using a right angle grinder, going, bam, bam, bam. going from a, a rock to a cutting disc, to a, uh, a sanding disc, to a wire brush sucks. And they became yeah. so cheap hmm. that one you can each. get you can get one for each, and it, one for each s- quickens everything because you're not turning it off and unplugging it and hitting the button and then undoing it. That's terrible because especially considering with like fabrication, sometimes you need all of them to kind of go back and forth. So I felt the same way about the. I hated having one grinder because I hated having to do exactly what you said you know toggle back yeah. and forth especially if you're doing a multiple things you're taking it on taking it off taking it on taking it off i hate to say it i had to bite the bullet and get two grinders for that reason and having sure. one grinder with the contact wheel small contact wheel i'm looking at it right now and one grinder yeah. with the with the platen has made me able to kind of go from back and you know one two three back and forth and it does absolutely it does take away that kind of having to that frustration of having to go back and forth with the same piece of equipment. Yeah. I can only imagine well, what these what surprising. these guys with the mills have to deal with with changing the mills yeah. all the time. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I imagine that it pays for itself surprisingly quickly just in the amount of time you save from not changing yeah. out tool arms and all that shit. Um and you know, if you can afford it yeah, tooling up and getting an extra grinder, even just one. Like if you're a one grinder shop and you get a second one, it is a fucking game changer. It's such a big difference. I don't have. Um, I just have. I don't have VFDs on my on my two by seventy two grinders, and I went inexpensive on both of those, and it has mm-hmm. helped me. And also, I actually lost one of the motors. I blew one of the motors out, and being able to have a second one kind of saved me. Saved me from you know sh- shutting shutting down for a day or two. I think that right. unfortunately it's easy to say. I mean, a lot of the guys who listen to this podcast are just like, "Hey, I'm just in my in my basement. I can't be by it like five grinders." There was a sure. there was an old video that Jonathan Porter had at Doghouse Forge, and I know he's listening to this. And he had, and it was a, it was he must have had six, five or six different grinders with a different belt progression 
on each one, mm. and he would walk from one. He was dancing along. I think we even <laughs> talked about it when he was on the. He was dancing so, yeah. from one to the next, and I know that he doesn't have that situation anymore. But it was one of those things. It was like it cut down his time. In I must have been like a, into a quarter mm. because he's you know yeah. figuring out those figuring out ways to would be you know we talk about it all the time. The cost of doing business is not the equipment, is not the uh, is not the materials, but it's your time. Yeah, I'd say so another another big one there is drill presses or pillar drills. They're pretty cheap, and by having two, it just ex- speeds things up massively. You're not changing bits out, putting counter sinks in or different size bits. Just have two set up, and you're ready to go. And they're pretty I got cheap. A, I got a small second drill. Just because when I was doing all the the handles, fifty handles for the banditos, I didn't want to drill everything and change out the bit. Drill mm. everything and change out the bit. So I got two. I put the drill bit in one. I put the countersink in the other, and I went one, two, three, and it it, it saved me a. I mean, it saved me a pile of time, mm. and 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 frustration and less chance oh, of mistakes. I didn't forget to, yeah. Picking up that oh. wrong bit, sticking the wrong bit in, and I've done that more than once before. <laughs> but it's but it's easier said than done. A lot of people mm. be like, "Well, look, I all I don't even, I just have like a you know a Milwaukee drill and just leave me alone, you know, mm. big time guys on your stupid podcast." So it's it's easier said than done. I mean, mo- uh, necessity is the mother of invention, and sometimes w- the we've talked about this before. Sometimes having less makes you smarter in terms of figuring out ways in which to work better. Yeah, the constraints will make too. you more creative. Yeah, right, right. It makes you more. Yeah, it keeps that mind muscle working. Fine. Shall we get some questions, my listeners? Please. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? All right. So this is the part of the podcast where uh, you guys get to ask us questions. It helps drive the conversation, and uh, and helps. Uh, you know, I I think. If you're, don't be afraid to ask questions because if you're asked, no, no question is done because if you, if you got it, I guarantee a few other people got it too. Um, so I'm going to kick it off here with uh, Coaster Forged. He says, hey, cuties, can I ask you a question? When gluing forged tang knife scales on, when and with what do you clean up epoxy squeeze out? Uh, being new to bladesmithing, I, I make an incredible mess that requires a lot of, uh, a lot of fixing. <laughs> love the podcast and have have learned a, a ton uh thanks for all you do mm. so how do you guys clean up your squeeze out how do you guys deal with that i use um well first of all i there's very little squeeze out so i used to just plaster everything and think oh well i'm sealing up the knife as well and stick loads on and at the end i just get some some tissue paper and wipe um near the uh well you know where it touches the blade and then i just use some cotton mm-hmm or q-tips as you call them then clear with that and leave it to set um, do you write but, front to back um ch- choil to spine oh i was trying to make a i was making it never mind it, was making, it makes no it's difference makes no yeah, difference it's a toilet joke it's a toilet joke um but um whilst i've been doing this uh but exactly this sustainable knife project kind of thing i've been speaking to suppliers about you know where they're getting their stuff and their their processes and all the rest of it and i was i was talking to west systems who make the epoxy that i use and i was saying that the same sort of thing you know the i'd go through probably you know if i'm gluing up 10 knives at once that's a lot of sort of tissue paper that i'm just wiping and you can't really put it in recycling because then it's got this chemical on it and all the rest yeah, of it so they just you have to flush it. it 
Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, so I was speaking to them, and they were saying, well, you shouldn't really be having any squeeze out. And so I explained, you know, what I do. And they were saying, the best um, fixing that you're going to get is just have a, a slightest film, the slightest film of the epoxy. So you can see when you put the epoxy on, you'll see that film. And what I was doing before, I was putting a good sort of a good few millimeters thick, you know, really thick stuff on there. And they were saying that that, oh, that does no good. So they they said you want the slightest film, let that set um, just for a minute or so, just just so it's a bit more sticky and tacky. Put things together, clamp just so so lightly, so you're not getting any squeeze out. You just want to hold things together. And whereas before, I was clamping the hell out of everything and I had epoxy going everywhere. It was a right mess. They said, no, just the slightest film, the um, really light clamp just to hold things in place. And all I'm doing then, I'm just using one Q-tip to just go, you know, on that little join there, that, that transition, just a either side, and it's done. That's the only sort of huh. um, squeeze out that I'm getting. Um, yeah, so there's very little waste, first of all. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, you know you're meant to be for west systems anyway you're meant to be doing it by volume but i do it by weight so and i worked out how much i need per knife because I'm, I'm doing the same knives over and over when i do these big orders i work out how much i need per knife so i'm getting no waste at the bottom of my container um i'm getting no wow. squeeze out and it's just a really really efficient way of doing it huh mm. that's Holy very shit. interesting i didn't even think uh, that's, that's crazy that's crazy but you know that's just the way I do it. There's, there's, there's no. No, wrong I'm, I'm way, saying I'm what sure. they said. Sure. I'm saying what they're saying is crazy. I mean, I just assumed. I, I mean, for me, I, I have all this file work that I need the epoxy to flood the negative space. The file you work. fill that exactly. You fill yours as well. Yes, yes. So, so yeah. I put the I put the heck out. I I put a pile on and I squeeze the heck out of it. Mm. And and I even get people saying some people reach into my DMs and they say you're putting too there's too much too much epoxy using too much epoxy maybe that's what they're saying mm. it may have something to do with the heat buildup maybe the heat buildup isn't good for the epoxy that much together is I, I don't but know if you're, but if you're squeezing it out you're getting a small amount I mean it's not like you know it's not a bu- I mean when I have the excess of that West Systems when mm. it's all dried up I mean it's like a rock there's mm. like it's not a gummy at all I'm so it surprises me. I tell you what, uh, Tomer does. Tomer at Florentine Knives when he does his, he needs a lot of squeeze out because he's got to fill all those discs for his uh, oh, tag yes. knives. Yeah, he cleans out the bolster with uh, uh, WD forty. He actually he'll put WD forty on a. Uh, don't he's going to send me a text saying, "Why are you telling me all my secrets, Tomer? <laughs> just it'll be okay." So he uses a little bit of WD forty on a Q tip, and then that cleans it out without the uh, acetone um, uh, degrading the epoxy for for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. I use epoxy. I mean, I use a, I use a acetone. I love that shit. That stuff. I love that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> What about you, Marekka? What are you yeah. doing with the uh, with regards to gluing up? Yeah, so I do get, especially if <clears throat> on, on this production line, I definitely got get some squeeze out. Um, I just use a little bit of tissue or you know paper towel, whatever, um, to to clean off the top side of the bolster, and that's basically the only area I'm too concerned about. Um, because I can go back in and clean up the blade and stuff. But when when it's really thick, kind of snotty, gobby bits down in that kind of like that crook between uh, where the handle scale starts and the and the blade, if it's too thick and it hardens up, that's a bitch to clean out later. So I make sure to get in there and wipe out basically as much as you possibly can 
Um, but I don't get too crazy because then I can follow that up with a little bit of acetone and it's clean. Mm. Uh, and the rest of it gets all ground off. Uh, I'm not too worried about squeeze out because uh, I, I hollow grind my tang. Um, and so that gives epoxy a place to live. And um, and so, uh, yeah. Right. There we go. And, and I got the Corby bolts in there. Yeah, exactly. Corby yes, bolts yeah. holding everything together, too. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Next one is from FD underscore knives. What's the best way to reveal the contrast on a carbon steel sand mine knife? Which is pretty much what you do now, isn't it, Maraca? Yeah, that's basically what I'm doing. Uh, so, I. I would just, or I guess what my plan is for this knife that I'm working on right now is uh, I have a, a strong concentration of ferric chloride, which is a standard kind of four to one mixture, uh, four parts water to one part uh, ferric chloride. And then the other mixture, I started at like 15 to one, I think it it was. I have no idea where it's at now because it is, it's old, it's probably about a year old now. And as the acid gets older, it gets weaker. I have no idea what the the strength of that acid is, and or even how to test how how strong the acid is. But it's considerably weaker. We'll just call it the weak side. So basically, I'll go in with my knife. I'll dip it in the the strong batch for probably only about five minutes um, to get uh, get an even bite across the whole surface of the knife, and to also double check. Uh, to make sure that the blade is clean. So I'll actually, before I let it soak for five minutes, I'll I'll just put it in for maybe 10 or 20 seconds just to make sure there's, there's nothing on the surface that's going to impede the acid or act as a resist. You know, hand oils can do that. Um, if you happen to get, what it, for whatever reason, a little bit of, you know, wax or even like epoxy onto the blade, that will all act as, even sometimes uh, Sharpie, will act as a as a resist and it will it'll keep the acid from eating at the surface of the blade so i dip it for about uh 10 seconds or so just to get a look around the blade make sure it's all clean if it's all clean good if it's not then i just hit it really quick with some 20 or sorry 2000 grit sandpaper dip it back in and uh just to double check that spot make sure it's uh, etching it if it's looking good uh, then I let it sit for about five minutes and then I pull it out neutralize it I have a bucket of baking soda water right next to my uh, my acid tanks and then um, and then I hand sand that with 2000 grit and then I'll then put it in the weak ferric and and let it do its thing. Oh, sorry. So after neutralizing and hand sanding it, I will rinse the blade just to make sure that there isn't any residual baking soda water uh, or any other kind of whatever weird stuff getting into to my acid because that will uh, degradate or, you know, break down my acid even more um, outside of my control. And so it's just it's all about controlling that situation so I'll rinse it put it into the weak ferric and then i'll let it sit in there for um probably at least a solid 10 or 20 minutes it is so weak that it's doing hardly anything but because it's so weak it's it's interesting to see how uh high the contrast it'll create um without affecting the 15 and 20 and only affecting the dark material and so um, that could be a good way if you don't want to mess with the coffee. Um, 
to to get a high contrast finish and i i pull it right out i can neutralize it i can wipe it with a paper towel and it maintains that contrast um but what i would actually do after that is after wiping it or wiping it or sorry neutralizing it rinsing it and wiping it dry then i would put it in my coffee and i have a cold you know, you know, I, I'm using a cold coffee solution now. Um, it's the same mixture ratio as I was doing before, which is a five, one of those little glass seven ounce containers that you can smack somebody in the head with, uh, so they don't steal your Mercedes. <laughs> and, that's a, that's um, a call back right there. Go ahead. Yeah, there you go. And, uh, uh, two half a gallon of water or two liters of water. And, um, and you mix that up hot. You got to do it hot. You can't do it cold. It won't mix right. So mix it hot. Let it cool down. And then once it's cold, or at least down to room temperature, then uh, then you can let your blade soak in there for anywhere from like half an hour to a couple hours, depending on what kind of contrast you're looking for. And it should look pretty damn sweet. Pretty. It should pop that contrast really well. Um, Will Stelter is actually, he just posted up a knife mm. that he's got up for auction right now. Uh, I guess by by the time the podcast is out, it, it'll be over. But um, it is looking really sweet, and he told me he's using that coffee treatment, and uh, he's he got an excellent result on his Sanmai style um, chef's knife. Nice. Well, I ain't gonna get a better answer than that. Exactly, exactly. Holy mackerel! Uh, outstanding. Well, there you go. There you go, FD Knives. Now pay up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Ron, this comes from Ronald Knives. Hey, guys. What's the weirdest place or situation you've ever sold your knife? Have you ever refused to sell someone because you were worried about what they were going to use it for? Thanks, Ian Ronald. Ronald Knives. Craig, what's your weirdest situation you've ever nowhere, sold a knife? Nowhere weird for me. It's all via... By the website, um, so God knows who they are, what they're doing with it, <laughs> as long as they pay. Well, I mean, you don't, you don't, no, never had no, a weird drop off or a weird any any weird situation. I got a weird situation. Um, I haven't. No, everybody's been nice, really. I have nothing, nothing weird, nothing weird. Any Morocco? Anything weird? <laughs> I, I think I've done a couple like in the parking lot kind of like exchanges sketchy. with people. <laughs> so sketchy. Yeah, exactly. This is, yeah. Padded case with, and they're like checking the knife and stuff. And I'm, you know, taking an envelope full of money or something <laughs> like that. Like something from the wire. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that is totally, you feel weird. You feel weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell a very vague story because I got to be careful all of a sudden. So I made a knife for a guy who I made a knife for a guy. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to go too deep listener, into it. Do you think? Well, not necessarily, but, um, he had me meet him at his restaurant and he was, you know, he said, ah, oh, you know, he's, he's a famous chef and blah, blah, blah. And he, I told him the price. And I even gave him a discount because he was kind of, nickel and diming me a little bit and oh, I'm going to be on this, I'm going to be on that and I'm going to be on this. So I showed up at the restaurant with the knife. I brought my watercolors we were having a nice conversation and he comes in, he big hug. Hey, he's not my fucking guy. And uh, he goes, let me, he's like, let me go get the money. So he goes to the outside and I'm sitting there at the bar and then he comes back in and then he says, hey, you want something to eat? You want to bring any food home to your family? 
And I'm like, yeah, no, it's okay. So go, no, no, no. So he says to the, to the chef, oh, bring us a couple of this, this, that, a stack of food. And I'm like, oh, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I just want to, you know, I wanted to leave. And uh, a stack of food shows up. And then um, he does this, in front of other people, he gives me this hug, a bro hug. And then he's got the cash in his palm. And he does that, like, stupid... You know, that like, here you, you go, you for you. And he made a big thing where he like, you know, where he, the, the hands, it's a handshake with the money in between. Making you a maid so man. A, yeah, it's just like, ugh, come on, man. Just, you know, let's just be normal, you know. And uh, I put it in my pocket. And he, he's, yeah, this is, bring this all to you. Bring this all, this all, this food is for you and your family. I didn't want it. And then, and I was like, eh, thanks. And, you know, it was fine. And I was already, you know, not really making what I should normally have made on the knife. And I was like, yeah, I'm doing a solid. So I get back to the car and it's raining. And I put the food in the car. I think, ah, it's nice of him to do that. I didn't ask for it. And I count the money and it's short. Uh, oh. by, a, by like, by a lot. A lot, a oh, lot, yeah, yeah. a lot to the point where I'm like, I've done too much. I've done too much and I'm, and I'm gonna, I gotta go back into this restaurant. And it's he's around all his friends, and that's what they do. So, mm. so uh, the moral of the story. So instead, I'm thinking about him mulling it over. He gave me all this food. I didn't ask for it. Do I go back in? Do I make a scene? What am I going to say? What am I going to say to this guy? So I decide to call the consigliere of consiglieres, Tony Tony Iazzi, my business partner. I'm like Tony, I told him the whole story, and he's just like, <sighs> he's like, she's like, from now on, let me take care of this, all this stuff. All the money stuff. Let me take care of it. I don't want. To, I don't want you to have to be put in this position. And I said, "Well, I'm going to go back in there." And he goes, "No, you're not." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm going to go back in there." You know, I, I worked on this knife, and you know, it, it was enough that it was like it was about the. It wasn't. Re- I mean, it wasn't like a thousand dollars, but it was like it was the principle of it all. Yeah, yeah. And he says, "Get back in the goddamn car. We'll get him on the next one." I. He says, "I promise you. I promise you. I will get him on the next. I will get him on the next one. I promise you." And um, I was just eating it away. It was eating away. I and mean, what do you do? And then that happened again, where a guy bought a knife. He came to my shop with his entire family. Mm. Came to the shop with his entire family, the grandparents, the kids, and the wife, and the this and the that. And I can, and he wanted to make a big presentation. I handed his wife the knife, and blah 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 blah. Does the same thing. Uh, palm with money in it shakes my hand. What am I going to do? I'm going to count the money in front of his whole family. So as soon as he palms me the money, I immediately say, I know this is short. I know it's short. I know that this is short. I put it in my pocket. He leaves. I count it. Of course, it's short. And I call up Tony. And I'm telling you what, this is a move that these people do. A lot of these people do this. They're going to give you cash. They think they're doing a service. For I mean, for nothing. And then they do it in front of other people. And then they act dumb. And they give you cash. Don't take cash. Mm. Don't take cash. So the answer is... This I'm now out. I'm now out from two guys. That I gotta get. I gotta get both of them back. I gotta get both of them back. But it, it, I told Tony about the second guy. He's just like it's hilarious. That's what these guys do. They act like these these big shots, and then they short you twenty bucks here, a hundred bucks there, and it's just like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna make a scene in front of all these people. Yeah. So there's your answer. Weird, irritating. Now I'm, I'm mad. I'm mad now. <laughs> well, and there's this there's this weird idea or culture around the idea of. Uh, cash discount. You know, hmm. if you pay in cash, you get a discount. 
Like, and it, obviously these guys thought, uh, just assumed it or took it or they're just being no, assholes. No, these guys but it, knew what they were doing. <laughs> Both of them knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. This was not a mistake. Scumbags. This was a, this Yeesh. was a, this was a, this was a, uh, you know, I'm assuming that the first guy thought, oh, I'm giving you all this. What am I going to go back in? So what about all the food I gave you? Mm-hmm. You know, I, there was a lot of like, I mean, it was going to be awkward. And the second guy, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Make a scene in front of his way. Hey, you're short. You shorted me, you know, 30 bucks or 20 bucks, whatever. Now, of course, I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to embarrass everybody hmm. and make things awkward because I, I guarantee, and you know, I'm going to make it real awkward. You know, I'm going to make, I'm going to make things super <laughs> embarrassing, really awkward, and we're all going to be miserable. That's so weird though. Like you're going to, you're going to pay all that money and you're going to short 20 bucks. Yeah. Like at that point, it's like some weird power move. It's a it's mental win, isn't it? It's a bucks. mental win for some people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there it's are, like, ah, I got There are some people overall, out there who play dumb you know and if i'd said something they're gonna play dumb i get this a lot i've had this i've had this before i've had this before back in the day when i was a uh uh when i was making whatever for somebody all of a sudden you gotta i gotta and that's what people say count the money count the money i just just pay me a check just write me a check don't be just it's enough already stop Mm -hmm. it with the cash but trust me this is a this is a thing that happened to happen to me twice and both times i'm just i get i seethe I seethe with it. Go to the supermarket. Go to the supermarket, buy some groceries, and then sh- try to short them some cash. See what happens. Yeah. You're going to get your eggs. <laughs> They're going to take your eggs back. Let's go to the phones. Hello? Hey, this is Justin from Ernie Man Forge. I was wondering if there was a non-labor-intensive way to get more food release on a chef night. Without having to do a hologram, because that's a lot of work. Um, any advice? Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, he's a good dude. He sent me some nice messages recently. He's a he's a real good dude. I'm with you. He likes no. the pod. He likes to he likes the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got nothing. I I I don't make any effort for um for food release at all. Um, all mine are flat grinds. Um, no, Morocco. What have you got? Because I know you've been doing a lot of testing, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've been I've been messing with it for a while. Basically, all of my knife making. <laughs> uh, if people aren't familiar with the idea of food release, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory. But the idea is that it, the ways to adjust the uh, the grind of a knife so that when it's cutting through food, it's not the food isn't sticking to the knife. Uh, the problem is that there is no solution. All, all cure. There's no all cure for food stiction or to help with food release. Um, you say, the best you say thing food you can stiction. do. Stiction. <laughs> we're not letting that one go. Stick- food stiction. 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 Food stiction. Stiction. Suction. Stuff Maybe, getting stuck. Know, yeah, yeah. Stuff's getting stuck. Yeah. Okay. Stiction. Got it. Uh, <laughs> anyways. Um, Fuck you! Now I, don't, I totally you're lost talking my about food okay, stiction, so, making up words. Okay, so <laughs> making I don't speak English well. Anyways, um, yeah. So the idea there's there's no all cure. There's no there's nothing that's going to be perfect for everything. All different kinds of foods. Now, you know, you you can make grinds that are great for cutting through potatoes, but aren't going to be great for you know, and the potatoes falling off. But then you go cut some chives, and the chives are all over the knife. 
Like it's, there's not, it's not going to be perfect. The best thing you can do is uh, reduce friction. There, there are some things you can do to create uh, food release. Um, the best thing you could do is uh, an, a, a, a convex grind. It, and it doesn't have to be super dramatic. A very, even a very gentle convex grind um, will make a huge difference in how the food falls off the blade, or how kind of like the food interacts with the knife, the surface of the knife. Um, so, how would you do that? Carefully. All right. No, well, uh, what, what do you need? No, no. I like a, a rotary platen. Uh, so one way, if you don't have a rotary platen, so a rotary platen essentially is a tool arm that has like a belt, uh, a hard, kind of a firm rubber belt as a backing instead of like a hard plate as a backing. So it has some give. So when you push into that belt with the with the grinding belt over the top of it, it creates a kind of a, a, a concave surface. Mm. But what that creates is a uh, a convex surface on your knife. Now, if you don't have that, what what you can do is kind of grind multiple facets and and then blend those together using scotch brights or just belts but that's a huge pain like there's kind of there's kind of especially on a if you're trying to do it subtly there, there isn't a really great way to do it subtly except for using like a, a rotary platen um you, you don't want to just go slack belt um with no backing at all because then then it's too much. there's too much give yeah and, and it, cre- it creates too aggressive of a convex and on a knife that's probably you know a, a couple millimeters thick or you know an eighth just over an eighth of an inch thick you, you know it's kind of not going to do you any favors so i think uh you know the cre- a convex at the very least will help make a big difference uh the s you know obviously the s grind takes some practice but it for me the, the S grind is just as much work as any other kind of grind. And I think more than anything, it just comes down to practice with it. But um, for most people, I would suggest just a subtle convex if you can. No. That, that will make a huge difference in in how the knife uh, interacts with the food. Yeah. Now, some of those Japanese style knives, you see um, they have... The ones the guys in Japan, they're they're putting it like two at a time under a power hammer, and they're making like a texture on the first. Yeah, is, is that is is that texture adding to food release? I also saw a couple guys forging in uh, S grind, but is some of that texture helping with food release? Yeah. So the idea is that it's especially if the knife is uh, or whatever. So the food, what happens in the way the food is sticking to the blade is it kind of I don't know. It's it's got kind of a suction. It's it's like a vacuum there. Stickage. So what happens with? Would you say? Yes. Stuction. Stick. Stickage. Stiction. 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 This guy's a lot of stiction. Uh, <laughs> too flat. It's got too much stiction. Yeah, but when it's got the texture, and and you will definitely see that in Japanese knives, especially they have like a hammer texture finish on the on the blade. Is is that it disrupts kind of that that suction action that's going on in, in the Stiction. Let's in stick, the food let's between stick. the food and the blade. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the idea with the Granton edge. So if you ever see like this kind of like those little scallops 
ground into a santoku typically or, or any kind of knife mm. uh, that's called a granton edge and the idea is that that is reducing the surface area that's in contact with the food and by reducing that surface area the idea is that it's not going to stick as much but it i haven't in my experience ex- experienced it making any basically any difference so, at all so food re- um, food release really is kind of a luxury i mean it's not really like i mean you know, you're getting more of an experience when you're cutting. It doesn't necessarily. It is. Yeah. It's more a luxury. And, you know, I first heard about it on uh, Kitchen Knife forums. And uh, a lot of the people on the Kitchen Knife forums are definitely enthusiasts, which is great because these are the people who love the work that we're doing. Um, so when they're, but yeah, when they're at home and they're cooking, um, they're, it's a very kind of, sensuous luxurious experience where they're just gently gliding through the food and then that food peels off and it's just a beautiful experience for them where i come from a production background working in restaurants prepping and cooking and all i cared about is that the knife held the edge Mm. nicely and then it wasn't a pain in the ass to cut through food so reducing cut friction has become my main concern when i make my knives and so what's important to me is I can blast through a, a bunch of onion, like a, a case of onions or potatoes or whatever you're, you got to work on. Um, you know, it's all about, for me, it's about production value. And, um, yeah, so I don't, I, I care about food release, but not as much as I care about re- reduction of friction and stiction. There we go. There all we right. Go. Well, no sticks. Well, we know what the name of this podcast can be called. <laughs> Stiction friction. Stiction friction. And, yeah, we find something else. <laughs> Stiction friction and terrible diction. There we go. <laughs> there there you we go. go. This next one is from Abandoned Daughter. Abandoned E Daughter. Something like that. Abandoned hey guys, Otter. Abandoned. He's a, aban- he's a ba- oh, abandoned he's Otter. Abandoned Otter. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, I'm a new maker and would like to know if you if you have any process advice on oil quenching stainless. He says he's using Sandvik's 14C28N and he's been told by Sandvik to hold at 1050C, which is around about I think that's about 1920F for you Americans for five minutes and then quenching oil. And he says should he not use foil? Um, he's worrying he's going to lose too much of the heat treat trying to remove the foil before quenching. And I use this. This is my my daily steel. But I, I'm going to let you two guys speak first. I'm interested in what you're going to say. I don't oil quench stainless. I know some people do. I know uh, I have good friends of mine who do. Um, so I have no answer. Um, I the only thing that I get I get nervous about with foil is you got to make sure that you, it's, sometimes it's hard to see in you know once you quench, it's hard to see if it's straight. Like mm. even if in your pouch, mm. you got to be able to, you know, you got to be able to, you know, start converting the austenite into martensite and then rip off the foil to be able to see if you're straight or not. In regards to oil, I, I don't, I never oil quenched uh, stainless, so I don't even know. Mm. How you like that for yeah, an answer? I, I, mm. I don't, I don't have any input really. I, I have almost no experience with stainless. Okay. So I'm going to pass it over to you, Craig. Okay. Well, I use 14C28N almost exclusively. Sometimes I'll use another Sandvik, which is the 12C27M. Um, very similar steels. Um, but I um, I played quench everything. Um, so I'm taking it up to 1050, which is 1920 in Fahrenheit for the Americans. 
Um, plate quench um, down to 20, which is around about 70 for the Americans. And again, this is all from Sandvik's sort of official materials. Um, and then going on to temper before I then do a, a deep freeze treatment as well. Um, but yeah, I've never actually done it in oil. And I know that Sandvik, they have a, a hardening guide book that you can buy, which is exclusive for their steels. Um, and they do mention that, you know, doing it in oil as, as alongside plate quenching it. Um, but I'd always plate quench. Um, and just now because, that we're plate quenching, pardon me, sorry, keep going, I apologize. Sorry, um, lots of reasons. So the, the first reason is um, when you, when it's in a plate, that I think personally, I think there's less chance of any sort of wiggle or wrinkles happening because it's it's between two plates. Okay, you may have the foil, but you know that's 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 something. Um, but also, I, I you know my my workshop here is in my house, and that that smell of oil, you know, if I'm doing a bunch of them, the house is going to stink. So, no, I plate quench everything and, you know, I, I harden test, you know, every batch and everything seems good. So, um, yeah, the answer is none of us have done it, so none of us know. Um, but I can't see the advantage of doing that than you would over plate quenching anyway. Plate quenching is is very inexpensive to do. It's it's very easy to do and it's very inexpensive to do. Yeah. And the, all you really need are some you know, aluminum plates that are the relative size of your knife. And I actually end up, every time I go to this uh, steel yard, I look in their scrap bin and then they have some thick pieces of aluminum, uh, that, that, you know, scrap, you know, I grab them. And, and, yeah. and, and basically nice. the idea is that you're pulling it out and then you're, you're, you're sandwiching them in the plates and then you're using compressed air. Just get a cheap compressor with air and then you're blowing the air on the inside. And what's happening is, is you're, you know, the aluminum's acting as two heat sinks on both sides. So you're like pulling it out evenly. You're pulling out the heat evenly from both sides. So there's, it's, it's the warpage is, is very, is very, is very little. Um, it's so the so the compressed air is cooling off the blade or the yes. the aluminum no, plates. No, you're you're spraying the compressed air in between the plates. The space the in the space between, um, this the space where the you know the, the extra area where there's no aluminum. So it's you're removing kind of, any okay. sort of hot air that's in there. And right. Yeah, I suppose it is, right. it is cooling down the plates quicker. I suppose. I mean, it's not real. I mean, aluminum holds onto that heat super. I mean, you know, aluminum is an awesome heat sink. When we used to, uh, when I was welding up uh, tables and stuff, we would or, or very thin sheet metal, we would use aluminum C heat sinks because it really does pull a lot of the. Uh, it does conduct the heat very quickly. Um, and you can hear it sometimes. It's almost I, like a. You can hear the heat coming out. I I love. I tell you what, I, I feel more confident quenching out of aluminum, aluminum plates than I do oil every time. I always get a little bit more nervous when I'm, I'm quenching in oil. But, yeah. you know, that's just me. And be careful if you're doing you, batches, okay. because that aluminum will hold on to the heat. If you're doing batches, just get a bunch of plates and just stack them. So as you do one, just stack another layer on, stack another layer on. And sure. Right. Well, so have you guys heard of a jockey box? Like, have you ever been to, uh, like, Jeff, you were just at that Oktoberfest, and I'm sure that a bunch of them have coolers with taps in them and stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Is that what it's called, a jockey yes. box? I, I've always known it as a jockey box, Dang. but essentially what the tap lines are running through an, a, a tapped, a drilled and tapped aluminum plate, and then the the cooler is full of, uh, you know, ice yeah. it, th- that melts down, but it's transferring that cold from the ice to the aluminum, I wonder if you had like an external jockey box that is sent, or just like a, a cooler full of ice water that cycled 
uh, ice water through the aluminum plates, kind of like a jockey box, uh, to help just keep those plates cold. Hmm. Um, I use something so very can, similar when I'm making beer, actually. Uh, they're called a plate chiller. Yeah. And I've never thought of that. That that would definitely keep that plate cool, without a doubt. Hmm. Think we cycling ice water? I, through. I love it. I I think we have a new name for the podcast. This is uh, what is it? Stuculate? Was it was it stiction? Stiction? <laughs> no, stuculate. That's right. No, stuculate. <laughs> stiction and jockey speculate, boxes. Speculate and suction. There yeah. you go. Yeah, stuck. <laughs> no, pull around. But that's that would be a great way for you to incorporate your beer brewing. With, yeah, just run, with quenching blades. Yeah, well, just quenching blades. Drunk and quenching blades. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. I don't maybe think we not. answered his Let's questions. Let's go to the phone. Let's take another one. Yeah, we didn't answer his questions at all. Hello? Hey, guys. Matt here with Matt Boat Custom Blades. I was wondering if I have a customer that wants a uh, custom design knife, I always draw out the design as close to dimensions as possible, and then I always... I show it to him for approval. Should I be charging for that design process, or is that just part of the whole cost of the knife? Uh, hopefully, you can guys help me out. Thank you. Oh my God! Proper questions this week. Proper decent questions. I have a terrible story about that, but go ahead, guys. Um, I'll, well, I'll say what I, would, I do. I I oh. don't charge. I think it's part of yeah. it's part of like almost the pitch. You know, I don't do it so much now because I don't do custom yeah. work so much. But I think it's part of your pitch, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that I, I would agree. Like, unless you're really in a position where you're in such high demand that you know that time is better spent doing other stuff and. And that that might justify the cost uh, or charging somebody for kind of a consultation fee, mm. but you know, I think in, unless you're in that position, but even still, like I, I draw all kinds of stuff up because really for me more than anything, I want to make sure I'm making the right thing for the person. It's kind of for my own peace of mind that I draw this stuff up. Mm. I I have a hor- I might have told this story before, and I'll keep it. Uh, I, a long, long time ago, I design. I was supposed to design a table for this house, and I designed this big table. I did the drawings, did the you know my version of a blueprint. I spent a lot of time on and energy. And this horrendous human being that was in my life for a while said to me, "You need to charge her for the the price. You need to charge her a price for the drawing." I said, ah, "I didn't really make that arrangement ahead of time." Blah blah blah, and she says, "You know, you're gonna char- you're gonna put a bill in this. You're gonna send this here with a bill." And I'm like, "I'm no." She and she was de- she was very firm that I send a bill with the drawing. So I'm like, "Ah, what the hell do I know?" She obviously knows better. I sent the bill in. I didn't think much of it, and then I we were about to go. My wife and I were she's my girlfriend. Oh, uh, she's my girlfriend at the time. We were about to go on vacation, and I got really stoned really stoned like the kind of stone where unplug the phones crawl in the sock drawer this is back in the day super super just ready to relax and then the next morning we're, gonna, we're packed up next morning we're gonna go on our vacation this woman called me up she lit me up the woman i sent the bill to lit me up like i'd never been lit up before and who do you think you are this is an outrage who do you think you're sending me a bill for this drawing and what do you think this is and nobody does that and, that, and i'm high as a kite i am like 
out of my mind. <laughs> and I'm getting, it's like the worst nightmare of all time. She is lighting me up. And I'm like, okay, just rip up the, rip it up. I don't, obviously, I didn't get the job, but it was like, and I said to Hillary, I'm like, I, I, I think I made a mistake. I think I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have given her the bill. And, and Hillary goes, ah, maybe you shouldn't have gotten high. I'm like, yeah, maybe you're right. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> it depends. And now, I do drawings for like I got to do drawings for these uh, this set of uh, Parmesan knives for uh, this restaurant that I've done business before. I, usually, I'll do a drawing once I get a deposit because all of a sudden it's like I had one guy who who wanted a watercolor and then he wanted me to change the name and then we to change the words and I had to do two, three, four drawings. You gotta have a you gotta have a very firm understanding in regards to you know you know oh, you can change the name to, to your, this is going to Pete I'm like I can do the whole drawing over again because you want me to put your name Pete on there <sighs> <laughs> this is three grumpy old men every week this is. <laughs> Yeah, speak for yourself. Basically. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on with it with some tips? Yeah. Hey, you. Sure. You know what you should do? Uh, this is the uh, part of the episode where if you're listening to the podcast and you want to share your tips with us, feel free with love, with peace and love. Share us your tips and we'll share them. All. And, uh, you know, once in a while, we, we may or may not disagree with your tip, but know that it's with good humor and love. So uh, the first tip comes from... Actually, we've got some pretty good tips. Um, the first tip comes from Josh Prince, Joshua Prince, our good buddy at Prince Forgeworks. And he says, Things I couldn't do without. Wooden tongue depressors and cedar shingles. I use as a sanding stick. I use them as shims, uh, clamping pads, uh, epoxy stirs, cut them to a fine point to do a detail work and clean up. The shingles I use in many of the same ways, and they're really handy for shimming up angled materials such as tapered handles or blades where drill press or chop saw uh, or disc belt uh, work is needed. So that's a good tip. Uh, little wooden stirs and cedar shingles. Nice, Josh. Yeah. Nice. You know, in place of those cedar shingles, I've also, I've used uh, where they're they're just like little cheap wooden shims you can get at the hardware store yeah. that you would typically use for shimming out a door or something like that when you're putting the uh, the, the trim on. Those work really great, too, because they're, they're usually about eight inches long, and they're about a quarter inch on one side, and they taper down to basically nothing. It's a nice taper. Yeah, I would imagine for, like, drilling through uh, tapered tangs and stuff like that where you want to try to, like, make sure everything's straight, I bet they'd be great. Great idea, mm-hmm. Josh. Yeah. Tip approved. <laughs> We've got another one from Dunn underscore Knifeworks, um, and it's tips for knife photography. So he says the first one is good lighting. Um, early morning sunlight is good, and he says natural beats artificial light every time. Um, he mentions simple backgrounds. That way they don't confuse the eye. Your knife stands out as the main focal point in the picture. And he says experiment with different angles. Don't just do the same head-on shot all the time. And he says, use a decent editing app. He recommends Snapseed. Um, he says, it's not, it, it is important not to edit to the point where the knife is unrecognizable because that would be deceitful to the customer. And he says, also keep your editing subtle. In this instant, less is more. He says, those are my tips. Criticize them if you like. <laughs> I'm not all good tips. I think those are great those tips. Those are great yeah. tips. Great yeah, tips. Yeah. I, I actually, I've 
I see a lot of stuff where people kind of over edit it, mm. uh, edit their pictures sometimes. And I've thought about um, just doing like a screen recording of me going in and editing some of my pictures um, because I try to keep, I try to make my photos as representative as possible of the actual knife. Mm. So that, yeah. So that the customer as well as anybody else who out, who's seen my stuff out there doesn't get a kind of a misrepresentation basically of the different kind of colorations of the material or contrast or stuff like that. Um, and then regarding the lighting, I, I have found, I, I, I agree. Natural light is awesome. I do it usually in the afternoon after the sun has gone down behind the trees. Cause then the trees help kind of block the sunlight. And so I'm getting an indirect, indirect lighting effect, mm. which is, uh, I think more desirable uh, when you're, when you, fo- I found when you photograph in, in direct light, uh, sunlight or any kind of lighting, it is just too intense and you get all these hot spots and bright spots along the blade or, or maybe the blades like way blown out and overexposed just so you can get like the kind of proper exposure on the handle material, especially if the handle material happens to be a little darker. Um, all that can be alleviated by using indirect light sources. Um, and in the shade of something really makes a huge difference. Yeah. I tell yeah, you, sure. I, I try to focus, I try to make sure that the light picks up the satin finish of uh, the hand sanding mm-hmm. because I think sometimes I can take, I've taken pictures of the past and it doesn't really show that it was a satin finish. So I've lately really, yeah. really, I mean, the past, you know, number, you know, six months, I've really been focusing on showing the satin finish and, um, it's I, I like the pictures better because it really kind of representative of of what the finish of the knife is. The other thing is I hate and and I know that this happens to everybody, especially if you're impatient, take pictures. If you take a picture very early in the morning, sometimes you get that blue sky and it makes the whole picture very blue, including the blade. I try to I try to yeah. avoid that. Yeah, yeah. I try to avoid. I that. bought one of those really cheap Amazon like photo tents, and they've got the lights built in, so it's LED lights. Um, and basically it sort of mimics the style of my website where everything is, is, is just white and very sort of simplistic. So, um, I shoot on a, on like a DSLR, um, which I then bring over to the Mac, bring the pictures on the Mac and then use Lightroom by Adobe. And that lets you selectively adjust the, um, like the white balance, that kind of stuff, you know? So it's especially when you're using a darker handle, as Moreco said, it can be quite difficult to get the the blade um, not overexposing all the rest of it. So you can do you can selectively choose how you want to expose different parts um, to get the best representation of the knife because it's, it's, it's often very difficult to get a good shot of the blade and the handle in one. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's pretty pretty much it. It takes, sort of, you know, a, a minute or two per per shot in in Lightroom, um, and yeah, it works pretty well for me. But yeah, I mean, everybody can have their different styles. Um, I'm a big fan of the hand pick. I know Jeff is too. So if you've got some really nice hand pick, <laughs> send them straight to Jeff. He loves that kind of stuff. I just think they're dumb. No knife either. No knife needed. <laughs> just hand just oh, yeah, yeah, He's got yeah, a yeah. thing for hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're both out of your minds. Can we please, 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 please read the last tip that was submitted? Sure. You go ahead. You put it in All there. Right. But I got I, before we read it. I got one more thing about photography. So uh, as Craig was talking about highlighting different details, I think one of the things I try to, uh, and I feel like I've, I, I, I probably have said this before on the podcast, but anything you can try to do to uh, kind of 
create an experience uh, when people are looking at your photos, especially wherever they're at, either on your website or on Facebook or Instagram, is try to create the experience as though the person's holding, actually holding that knife in person and try to anticipate the kind of details that they're going to be looking at, especially if like uh, around the bolster of my knives, there's always these crazy and kind of cool, interesting details around the bolster. And so I try to make sure I get in tight and kind of show that so that people can actually see that as though they were holding that knife themselves and looking at it. It's really difficult to get a proper, I, I, at least I, I struggle with getting a proper exposure across the entire blade. Mm. So I'll take an overall shot, but then I'll, I'll get in closer and I'll take multiple pictures along of like just the blade and then just like a kind of tighter close up look at the pattern and then the handle and different aspects of the handles and stuff like that. Because it is, it's really challenging to get a really good sense and feel for that work if it's just the one uh overall shot that's really only about two inches wide on your phone yeah you know and so and if you are yeah, if you are using a phone invest in in a tripod of some sort because then you can take multiple pictures and i mean particularly if you're using mm-hmm. an iphone if you most people will probably know if you press the screen it'll you know do the you can either have focused or you can um adjust the um, the sort of white balance as well by by pressing the screen and holding and so on. Take, mm. You can take multiple shots. You can have it focused on the um, blade in one picture and then the handle in another. And then if you bring into any editing software, you could bring those pictures together. I don't think you're sort of fooling anybody by, you know, misrepresenting the knife. You're just trying to take the best picture you can of that knife. You're not, you know, huh. not edit it in any other way you're just you're just making sure the light looks right on it which which is fine to do that's, right that's very interesting but yeah but if you if you've got a if you've got a tripod obviously you can you can have those matching shots and you can mix and match the various bits using layers and that kind of thing there we are yeah there we are Go on then, Jeff. You go for this last uh, question. All right. Well, this one comes from Albert C. I changed his name a little bit, um, and he wrote into the podcast to say this. I will be very grateful if you can accept me to introduce and enlighten you about the Illuminati Brotherhood, the bringers of wealth, fame, and protection against any challenge in life, getting connection and access to the richest, uh, access to richest, and and live and live a comfortable life. There is no blood or human sacrifice in the Illuminati Brotherhood. I will be gladly waiting for your feedback if interested. Well, if there's no blood or human sacrifice, I'm not interested, mate. Uh, I, I checked out Albert C. I changed his. I checked out his webpage. He looking. He look. He living like he's. He living the good life in the Illuminati Brotherhood. So everybody, go join the Illuminati Brotherhood, and uh, you know, I look no no blood and human sacrifice. What can what can you live? What can you lose? Well, I just got done hand sanding a pile of knives, 50 knives to be exact, and I could not have done it as efficiently and as effectively if I wasn't using Rhinoet sandpaper from Indasi USA. The, the 220 Rhinoet just saved my life. And it's awesome sandpaper. We all like the Rhino Wet sandpaper. And Dasa USA holds the just great sandpaper for knife making and metalworking. So uh, if you want, you can go to Texas Farrier Supply and you can get 10% off if you use the promo code Knife Talk 10. You can get Rhino Wet there. You can get blacksmithing supplies there. You can get a pile of knife making supplies there. They're a really great sponsor and you can get 10% off all your order 
of Rhinoid products and everything you buy from there with the promo code Knife Talk Ten. Thank you, Indasi USA, and thank you, Texas Ferris Supply, for sponsoring the podcast. Community Showcase. So this is a bit of the show where we like to give a shout out to a person, product, or anything in the community which we think needs a bit of light shone on them. And I'm going to kick things off with Chelsea Miller Knives. And I think we've mentioned Chelsea on the show before. Um, she's doing something very unique, very different to what a lot of other people do. Um, and I think she needs to be commended for that because I know um, being a lady in this industry isn't easy. They take a lot of shit, which isn't deserved in any way. Um, so, yeah, go and have a look. I, th- I think they're very, if you look at them as art pieces, they're certainly functional too, but they're very different to what a lot of other people are doing. So go and have a look at Chelsea Miller Knives. Nice. I chat with Chelsea. She's a, she's a, she's a very, I, I respect the fact that she's getting out there and doing her thing. Yeah. And doing I'm something different. Supporting, I, I think the fact that she's getting out there, she's doing her thing. She's represented well. God bless you, Chelsea Miller. I'm with you. Yeah. For sure. All right. Well, I want to give a shout out to my buddy and former shopmate, uh, Matt Parkinson. He's on Instagram as Sword Matt. And that is because he is a sword fanatic. Uh, He's actually a really great sword maker. He got a, uh, he actually won Best Sword at Blade Show, I believe, two years ago. Um, Super talented guy. Uh, It was really great working with him at Dragon's Breath Forge. And so I just want to give him some shout outs. Uh, If you guys, if anybody's interested in taking classes uh, in the Connecticut area, uh dragon's breath actually matt teaches a lot of classes not just at dragon's breath but he goes up to the adirondack school up in i think it's somewhere up in new york state uh he goes down the guilford art center and he goes to brookfield uh art center he teaches all over the place he actually did a class down in arizona um at grizzly ironworks and so, anyways, he's all over the place teaching stuff. He he actually might be on the schedule for New England School of Metalwork uh, that Jeff was mentioning earlier. Yes, he is. He's definitely taught, he taught a few classes up there. And so, I just want to give him a shout-out, give him some love. He's also, you know, so I talked about Jamie Lundell last week. So, um, and now I'm talking about Matt again at Dragon's Breath Forge. They have a Patreon, especially if you're newer in the knife making. They have all kinds of really great uh, videos and content that really goes deep into uh, the different processes of knife making, forging, heat treating, grinding, all kinds of handle assembly, all kinds of stuff. Um, so go check them out and give them a follow there and, um, and support them there. Cause it's a, it's a, it takes, a, it takes a lot of time. You know, we do the podcast. It just takes time, uh, time of its own, but then to, but just thinking about, you know, how building up and, and archiving all the information that you have basically as a knife maker, imagine like arch- archiving and recording all that and just how much time that takes. Um, and, and I think they ask a pretty modest price. It's like five bucks or something like that for all that information. So go give them a follow. Go give them some love. And uh, yeah, that's it. Well, I had a visit this past week from Alex Pohl Ironworks. Alex Pohl is an awesome blacksmith in London. He works alongside. I also got the, to see the fine and dandy uh, Moonshine Metalworks. That's Steve. He he was there, and also Joe Garnet 
Blacksmith, Joe underscore Garnet Blacksmith. That whole crew came down here and they were driven down here by my buddy, Jesse Uyeda. That's I, Jessup. And they came down here on the way to JFK. And I tell you what, Alex Pohl is a big dude. Big dude. He's, I took a picture with him. He was standing behind me. He was holding up this striking hammer. It looked like a tiny little hammer in his hands. He makes incredible axes. They do a lot of... Um, I know that they teach axe-making classes. They were just at Jimmy Duress's did an awesome axe-making class. They uh, teach classes in London. I think in London. Am I right? Is it London? I don't know. It's, um, Bath. It's, just, yeah, Bath, right. which is right over there. Um, they do a lot of kitchen, forged kitchen equipment, like pans and, and uh, kitchen cutlery. Uh, Moonshine is on the awesome uh, Tools with uh, Fools with Tools podcast. I'm spiffing you right now, my buddy. My buddy, that's their thing. They go spiffing it up. So go follow those guys. Alex Pohl's an awesome guy, super smart. He's um, he's going to be doing a lot more interesting things, but in regards to teaching, uh, teaching uh, axe making forging showing forged products in the uk he's one of the most important because he's actually doing it all he doesn't touch a grinder he touches a grinder to do a little bit on the ends of the axes but everything they're doing is forged and it's really really cool really cool love those guys nice cool okay shall we do beefs very very briefly brief beefs brief beefs we've got beef so my beef is going to be linked to my community showcase this week, which was Chelsea Miller. So she put up on Instagram these videos and these um, articles that she was mentioned in. She did something for Wired where she she introduced, you know, five different blades, how to make five different blades, that kind of thing. Really well presented. It was, you know, a really nice video for, you know, somebody getting into knife making, that kind of thing. Um, the shit she got in her comments unbelievable and i had um i had a night out last night with my wife the first in a long long time so i had a few drinks so we come back and i'm just sitting there in the kitchen i'm just looking through and I'm, i stupidly looked at comments so i started replying to these these oh, dick geez. dickhead dudes geez. saying well let's see the knives you make and, and all of this and he's just like oh what the hell i just dug a hole so what the hell am i doing but these people these people and i know two of those people commenting negatively listen to the show and i think shame on you Shame on you. Can I tell you who does a great job with comments? Uh, a listener of ours dies in every film. If you don't follow dies in every film, he's mm-hmm. a YouTuber in the UK. And he, yeah. when people post bad stuff, he puts it up on his stories. And I cannot, I laugh so hard because he goes <laughs> right after them all. And then he'll, he'll screen cut, uh, screen cap, uh, screen cap, whatever they, whatever they've written. And then he'll write his note and he'll, and he'll post it with another. It's the funniest thing in the world. You gotta go find, uh, dies in every film. He's fearless. It's fantastic. Yeah, uh, nice. I don't know what you do. <laughs> I would. I don't. Comments are the worst. I don't know why anybody would even look at them. I know. I, I, I why did I? I don't know. I don't know. But you're yeah, drunk. just just to, well, yes. But these people. <laughs> I mean, what? Why are they taking time out to go out and like insult, like personally insult people as well? You know. And like, yeah. one of them, I said, well, you know, I'd love to see your knives. And he said, well, I don't actually make knives, but if I did, you know, and I'm just like, oh, shut up, you absolute idiot. You know. <laughs> so yeah, people who comment negatively, not just on YouTube, on any other platform, you know. Get a second job. Do do something else with your time. Signed, Gay Wilkinson. <laughs> <laughs> the big, my biggest issue with those kind of comments is they're just they're not even constructive. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and at the same time, like, they're not even asking for any feedback either. So it's just like, mm-hmm. 
Just, why do you think you're so important? Yeah. The amount of times I saw was Alex Steele busy, or uh, one of them was actually you couldn't even you couldn't compare that to a Marmassi knife, and he's just like, that's not the point. That's not the point of this video yeah, at no. all, you know. And what's wrong with these people? Anyway. It is a bizarre. It is a bizarre thing in our society. It is a bizarre thing in our society. Yeah. And I, I, I recently posted a picture of my shop, and somebody wrote, "Why is your aunt? Why is your swage box so high? Or why do you? Why is your red hood so big? Or why did it?" And I'm, I'm writing something down, and I erase it. And I think, what am I gonna? I'm not gonna. When you repul- when you, they're looking for trouble. Oh yeah. So don't give it to them. Like I'm not gonna. You, you're el- mm-hmm. trying to elicit something from me, and you're trying to get something from me, and I'm not playing your games. So I try not to reply. Yeah. No. What's your beef? Unless it's really funny. And it's never <laughs> yeah. really it's never really funny. It's never my my beef this week is back pain. Uh I've struggled with back issues my entire life. I actually when I was twenty six, it's actually when I was still working for Bob, I my back like completely went out. Um I I was in a pretty tough spot for a while. Uh fortunately I was able to get some chiropractic help and some and get things like back into shape. Um so that I could work, but yeah, this this week I had a I had a moment where I thought that holy shit, it's going out again, and what the fuck am I gonna do? Because last time it went out, I was I was out of like I couldn't do anything for a week. I was just completely debilitated, um, and so uh, my beef is with my back and actually with myself as it often is with myself because I know what I should be doing. And as a, as a small PSA to anybody, uh, do, especially doing this kind of work or any kind of laborious work, um, you know, take, take breaks and just do a little bit of stretching, stretching and not even like, don't even have to get into any crazy stretching, just even like, you know, uh, you're reaching down and touching your toes and, and like bending backwards a little bit and rolling your arms around, just like general movement. But part of what we, you know, a big part of what we do is stand at a grinder or sit at a bench. Either way, you're usually hunched over slightly. And that is not good for your body. Like human bodies are designed to move. And by sitting in these kind of static positions, you're locking your body up and it starts throwing things out of whack and messes things up. So, um, don't, don't be a tough guy. Don't think you're, you know, whatever, too cool to stretch. Mm. I think, I think it's really important. I I can't stretch. I'm too cool to stretch. I trust, you know, I've been, I have back problems too. People have given me a hard time from time to time for like, for stretching. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Man. I'm with you, man. You stretch it. What are you stretching for? What are you doing? Hey, Morocco. Uh, hey, Morocco. Hey, you. You know what yeah. you should do? You need some yeah, decent exactly. shoes. Oh, some decent Jesus work Christ. shoes. Let me tell Worst you about my shit. shoes. Worst shoes around. <laughs> you, know, you wear the worst <laughs> shoes around. I do I do change my shoes out a lot. And I, I get, I yeah. get. you know, I did go to a foot guy to get the, to get the right uh, insoles to kind of help my back and I I also I lost a pile of weight and that really helped me out too and I walk a lot. So back pain is awful. 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 Yeah. Awful. One I guess part of the reason I want to bring it up is if anybody thinks they really want to do this long term, they they need to um 
it, think about that about the stretching part. Oh, and I guess part of the reason Christ. I think I bring up the whole oh yeah, it's the big yeah, box. he's fucking. Uh, speaking of which, I said Jesus Christ because as we're going, Craig sends us all the link to those goddamn Reebok he wears. Special shoes. Yeah, special shoes. Yeah. Special. All right, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just saying that uh, I, I know some. Uh, I know some makers who've been making for a long time uh, who, and this is part of why (laughs) I said, I said too cool to don't be too cool to stretches that they just power through. And they, I think it's, maybe it's an old man mindset of, you know, tough guys and shit like that. But you know, these tough guys are slamming down, you know, maybe a dozen ibuprofen a day to get through this shit. Um, Maybe just do a little bit of stretching and that'll help make a big difference. And so there you go. Does it take care of your backs? What have you got, Jeff? All right. So I'm finishing off. Uh, I'm finishing off the hand sanding of these knives I've made with Carl Ruiz. Carl Ruiz is a friend of mine. I'm going to make it real short. Carl Ruiz is a friend of mine. He was a celebrity chef on Food Network. We designed the Cuban knife. We sold a pile of them. Now we sold a pile of or 50 of the El Bandito knives. We were planning on sending out, making more in the new year. Unfortunately, Carl passed away. I had made. The, I'm finishing off what I my commitments, and I'm um, I'm finishing off my commitments with pride and honor of my friend. Uh, we made the decision. Tony and I made the decision immediately that we are not making any more Cuban knives. We're not making any more El Bandito knives after this commitment. We're retiring the design. Uh, just because I don't want to make another nickel off my friend's name. He was my friend. I'm very sad that he's gone. Bum. Tony gets about three emails every other day, and I get a lot of messages. Are you making more Cuban knives? And we, we have a little thing. No, 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 no. And once in a while, someone will write on Twitter to me, hey, uh, Jeff, are you going to make a knife to memorialize Carl? And I'll write, and I'll write, and you know, you got to make it public because you, what are you, breaking news? And I write, no, we're retiring the design. Um, I'm not planning on making them anymore. I'm retiring the design. And that's not good enough. Hmm. So these well-intentioned people will write, well, you know, you could make make them and send all the profits to their to the to the charities that he likes and i have to write back i i the charities that he likes know where i am and they know that i'll donate a knife donate an entire knife free of charge um for them to auction off to use how they see fit they know who i am they know where i am they know how to get a hold of me i've already made that commitment to the two the couple charities mm-hmm. and what it what it is is well what about the fans you can oh you could make these and then and then you give the money away there are people who are making t-shirts in honor of carl and i res- i respect them and they're making t-shirts and they're sending the money to this charity or they're holding off the money to this charity that doesn't exist yet but they're holding off the money and i appreciate it I don't, if you're, if you're buying t-shirts, you buy a pile of t-shirts, all right, you buy a pile of t-shirts, you send it to the company, the company sends you back the things, all right, you, you know your cost is this, and then there's a profit, right? If I'm making a knife here, nothing's coming off the slow boat from China. I'm making the whole thing. So the time, the, when I'm in the shop working, the meter is running. I don't want to have a dime off of Carl's name coming through my shop because I don't feel good about it. I want to sleep at night. 
So I have to explain it to people because they seem to think that this is, I'm just ordering knives from somewhere and then I'm slapping on a handle or I'm ordering knives and for some reason they're magically appearing and then I can just, you know, figure out the cost and the cost doesn't really, isn't really a thing. Please, please, please. And I know most of those people aren't listening to this podcast, which is fine. I'm just, I'm just bitching and moaning. I don't want to make another dime off my friend's name, period. That's it. I don't want to. I don't want to. I made a decision. I'm in it for a long time, not a good time. And I, we left a lot of money on the table, which I'm perfectly happy about. He was my friend. We did a lot together. We had a good time together, but I, I'm not, I'm not making a memorial knife in his name. I'm not doing anything other than these last 50 knives. We're going to get his signature on them all. We have the signature. We're getting him stenciled. And then that is it. So please, this is what we're in. We're not in the, we're not in the Amazon business. This is not Amazon where you click it now and you don't know how things are made. We're making everything from scratch and I don't want the meter to be running in this shop with the cost being from with his name. I just don't want to period. So leave him alone. Leave him alone. That's right. There you go. That's it. So that's with, a show. Peace, with peace and love. With peace and love. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> so that's a show. Remember, you've got um, all our community showcase, all their usernames and whatever in the show notes at knifetalk.net. There's the forum there. There's our uh, suppliers list there. There's a bunch of things there. So go and take a look at knifetalk.net. We shall speak to you next week where it will be our 100th show. Holy mackerel. It's a big one. It's a big one. We should speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.